This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon, good morning out there. On this wonderful, glorious Sunday, you are here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, Pet Life Radio's call-in show, a live call-in show. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to help you through any tough decisions you may have to make. Uh, just get, get a, another opinion. Uh, you know, you're going to get a lot of opinions when you talk to a lot of different veterinarians. Uh, the joke is if you ask five veterinarians for their opinions, you get 10 different answers. So, you know, there's nothing about black and white about medicine. So uh, there are a lot of options. And, and you can have, as I said, different choices from the same guy. And I am one such guy that will do that for you, depending on many other circumstances. And we'll talk about that towards the end of the show, the second half. We're going to talk about a little bit about what we call practical medicine versus academic medicine. And some of the challenges you might find with some veterinarians, uh, more so the younger ones, and we'll go explain why. Anyway, I uh, just want to hear from you. Number of ways to get a hold of us. Number one, the best way, give us a call, 877-385-8882. I should say, not necessarily the best, but the easiest. Once again, 877-385-8882. You can also uh, just send me a note. Uh, just click on to PetLifeRadio.com, and you can um, click on the uh, show, under shows, Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. And there's a little chat box, and you can just chat away. You can also send me a quick email to drjeff at petliferadio.com. What I think the best way to get a hold of me here live, there is a Google Hangout link that's going to be on the webpage uh, when you click on to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff on petliferadio.com. And just click on that link. It'll take you straight to us. Have your, you know, be sitting in front of your phone or your, or your um, camera in front of, you know, attached to your laptop or your desktop, whatever it is. And you can join us live. If you have your pet with you, do so because it's amazing. And again, I've said this before when we talk about telemedicine and telehealth, where this is going to be, this is already starting to be the wave of the future that we are going to save you time and money by being able to contact your veterinarian or at least a veterinarian 24 7, answer your questions. No more panicking and running to the emergency clinic and spending thousands when it wasn't even an emergency. As a matter of fact, we know that 80% of emergencies aren't. So it's a great way just to, to have somebody to talk to, answer your questions, and probably find out that what you thought was really serious to wait till tomorrow and see a regular veterinarian. So uh, as you know, I uh, like to start my show going through some of the news briefs, uh, just kind of let you know what's going on, what's new and exciting, uh, maybe not so exciting, but I think there's a lot of good stuff out here in the field of veterinary medicine. And this is put out by a number of the, the big organizations, the American Veterinary Medical Association, the American Animal Hospital Association, et cetera. And um, also before we start that, uh, one thing I, I think we talked about um, last two weeks ago, I'm not sure, Life in the Doghouse. It is a phenomenal documentary that it talks about two guys, Ron Danta and Danny Robertshaw. And these guys um, have started a rescue, but it's a very unique rescue. They don't have a facility. Their facility is their home. And they have had as high as 80-something dogs at any one time. But uh, yeah, mostly it's in the 70s. And they've adopted out over 11 thousand animals in the last 15 years. I mean, it's just amazing. So look for the Life in the Doghouse. It is a documentary. I was uh, privileged enough to be able to see it uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, when they had their premiere here in Los Angeles and met these guys. I'm going to have them a guest on the show too. We're going to have them on the show. Their schedule is so erratic with all the traveling they do. They're both also horsemen. So they go to a lot of the horse shows. And uh, Ron is a trainer and he used to actually competitively uh, ride hunter jumpers. So it's really, really 
a phenomenal documentary, a lot of fun, uh, some tears, but no, it was really, really worth seeing. And I would highly, highly recommend you look for it. So one thing I saw that, that I was actually very pleased because it's something that I'm sure I've never been able to understand it. Uh, you know, growing up here in the United States, I'm sure many of you have had the same issues. And uh, you know what's happening in China with Yulin and the dog trade for meat, etc. Well, this is good. And to start, it's a start. Vietnam officials call for an end to companion animal consumption. Public health officials are warning, are urging people to stop eating dogs and cat meat. Practice, they say, tarnishes the public perceptions in Hanoi. But duh, and um, and basically, it's putting people at risk as well for things like you know leptospirosis, rabies, and other zoonotic diseases. So you know, this is the first of the countries that do have this practice of eating meat from dogs and cats, and not just eating it. It's the way the animals are tortured. And there's some ridiculous feeling that the meat is better, is more tender when they're all stressed out when they die. Like, that's going to make a huge difference. It blows my mind. But it's going on. It's a horrendous practice. And uh, as I said, it's not, the culture is, it, obviously, it's a different culture. And they may look at us, you know, India, where they don't eat cows. I mean, they look at us eating beef. It's terrible. But well, at least the animal is respected. It's slaughtered properly. And you know that we and the animal welfare community gets on anyone when they find out that, that this is not practiced properly. But to torture them, that's inexcusable. So hats off to Vietnam. And I hope it passes and I hope they do some good. And then hopefully we'll be able to see in months to come, probably won't, but years to come, where this practice is ablated from everywhere. Canine influenza, we've been hearing a lot about it. You know, years ago, we had the H3N8, now the H3N2. And uh, it is, look, the recommendation is, is don't panic about it. Know it's out there. Look for signs of respiratory infection, maybe signs of respiratory infection aren't actually responding well to just antibiotics, or the, it's a little worse than just a, an infectious tracheobronchitis, aka kennel cough. So talk to your veterinarian. You know, a lot of, interestingly, here in Los Angeles, a lot of facilities that do daycare, do boarding, do grooming are actually now requiring. It's a bivalent vaccine, meaning a bivalent, meaning it will attack both. It'll protect against H3N8 and H3N2. But, you know, most dogs recover with just supportive care. Have there been deaths associated with it? Yes, but it's not really common. So, you know, I don't want you going out and panicking about it, but certainly know that if you are in an area and you're hearing a lot of reports or your veterinarian is talking about it, and tells you that we've seen a lot of cases and you should add on the vaccine. It's not that expensive. And uh, just for your pet's own protection, especially, especially if it is the kind of pet where you frequent places like the dog park or the doggy daycare facility, or you travel a lot and you board your dog a lot, whatever the case may be, it might be a good idea to go ahead and do that as well. Speaking of lepto, leptospirosis risks basically rise in areas and flood areas, floodwater areas. For example, uh, Wisconsin has just had some major, major flooding. And their finding is that with standing water, lepto sort of increases because it is shed by usually wild rodents. And if they urinate or defecate in these little ponds, and then your dogs go to drink it, or you, in a, in, not that you're drinking it like specifically, but you have, you've touched the water, your dog is in it, you're cleaning your feet, and then you put your fingers in your mouth, you can get lepto too. It affects liver and kidneys. It's a very, very serious bacterium. And so anyway, if you, again, are in such an area, speak to your veterinarian. And if they are recommending the leptospirosis vaccine, now for, for us here in California, in Southern California, at least my practice is, is that I don't routinely vaccinate for, against lepto. I consider leptospirosis a lifestyle vaccine. And when I have clients 
who take their dogs a lot uh, hiking in the mountains where there are streams and there's a lot of freestanding water and ponds, then yes, I advise leptospirosis. Just happens to be the reason why I'm not you know, recommending for everybody. First of all, as I'm sure you know, if you listen to my show, I'm not a big fan of just vaccinating for the sake of vaccine. Vaccines are critical, very important, but it has to be a disease that they're going to be subjected to. And, you know, as I said, here in California, we don't have to vaccinate cats for rabies. So if I have indoor-only cats and I have six and they're indoor-only, I do not vaccinate them against rabies. Why add another vaccine, another potential for vaccine reaction? Or as we talked about last time in the show, a FISS, the feline, that's a vaccine-induced sarcoma, all right? So it's an injection site sarcoma, FISS. And, um, you know, this is also something that why, why just add one more? Well, it turns out that lepto, you know, it's effective. It is a safe vaccine to have if your dog is going to be subjected to the potential of, of you know, contracting the disease. But it, it's a vaccine that we see reactions to sometimes. So I'm not going to do it just for the sake of doing it because, uh, you know, it's got to have a good reason. Again, speaking of diseases, zoonotic diseases, we're going from lepto and, you know, we're now, now we're going to talk about rabies. Uh, there were two bats. And if you don't know, I'll tell you now, bats are major carriers of rabies. And um, they were dropped off at University of Minnesota Veterinary School at the medical center and left there. Some lady came in, she checked in, just didn't finish signing anything. And all of a sudden she just left the carry with, with the bats and walked out. They don't know where she is, uh, but both bats had rabies. So they're trying to find out, did these bats bite anybody? Did they bite another animal? You know, what's going on? Where they come from? Because wherever these two came, wherever she found these, they're probably a lot more. And um, she is MIA. She's missing. So if you are in one such area or you have, have had exposure to bats, if you can't find the bat or bats that you are exposed to where they could be tested for rabies, then you should talk to your veterinarian, talk to public health officials. If there was any risk or if they know that they have seen rabies in their local population of bats, you might want to speak to your doctor as well and think about getting the, um, the uh, rabies prevention uh, shots. So just you don't want to mess around with rabies. It's 100% fatal. So you don't want to mess around with it. So this was also a cute story. And I, and I kind of like this because I've seen these monkeys in action. But you've heard of service dogs. And yes, they're being trained. And they're amazing. And people that have needs for service dogs, you know, it's the best thing around. But now you can, you can actually get a service monkey. There are monkeys, these uh, capuchin monkeys that are trained to do the basic things like, you know, the, these service dogs do. They can turn on and off lights. They can open the refrigerator door. They can grab you things off. They can, they can pick up the telephone for you. So, uh, you know, it's great. Certainly, if nothing else, think of the conversation piece. You know, I, went, I saw a story about a, uh, a young girl in elementary school. She was confined to a chair, a wheelchair. And uh, she was, I think she was a paraplegic, but she did have her dog. Well, she didn't have her dog at first. And she was sort of like the misfit. These young kids are really, they just don't understand. So she was kind of very... She wasn't antisocial, but others were antisocial. They didn't know how to approach her. They didn't know how to talk to her. Anyway, when she was ready, she got a service dog. It was trained. And now the service dog obviously comes to school and is with her all the time. Well, this girl had become one of the most popular girls in school. Of course, the service dog got a lot to do with it. So can you imagine showing up to school? You needed it and you're confined to a chair. You need a service animal and you have a monkey. So um, that's pretty cool. In Nassau County, Florida, not Nassau County, Long Island, they had to euthanize 127 cats because of panleukopenia. Panleukopenia is cat fever. It is related to our dog's parvo virus. In fact, it is a parvo virus. 
And um, that's really bad. So they're, they're having a terrible problem in one or two shelters with panleukopenia, and it spreads like crazy. And interestingly, you know, it's, it's one of those diseases that I, even if with an indoor cat, I do vaccinate because it also has, and usually in the panleukopenia vaccine, it has the upper respiratory complex, the disease complex, the rhinotracheitis calici virus vaccine. So the, obviously, panleukopenia, pneumonitis, which is chlamydia. So we try to get all these things. They usually combine them into one vaccine. It's a rhinocalisi uh, and panleukopenia and pneumonitis. They're going to get it anyway, but just know it is a tough disease. It is highly contagious. So we want to be really, really careful. It's almost like treating a dog with parvo. And uh, so that's really sad that these kittens have to be euthanized. And uh, also just an alert, and we'll go this as we go into our break, is that, that there are many types of skin growths and masses that you might see on your pet. And many are benign, but there are also many that aren't benign. And it's not something that you could tell just by looking. So just the word of wisdom that if you find any mass, any growth, any, anything on your pet skin or under the skin where you can actually feel it. You may not have to see it, but you feel it under the skin. Have your pet checked out by your veterinarian. Because if it is something like a lipoma, a little fatty tumor, they're usually benign, you can leave it alone. If it's a wart, you can wait until the next anesthesia when they're getting their teeth done or something and then take it off at that time. I'm one of these guys, I don't like to just take off for the sake of it. But if I have an excuse to knock a dog down for something more important while they're under anesthesia, I will take care of the other things well. But it could be like a mast cell. All right. And we do. It could be a, like a melanoma. There are other types of tumors, skin tumors that dogs can get that are more serious and need to be addressed. So again, take your dogs for any kind of lump bump, take them to your veterinarian and have the dog checked out. And then this also last one blew my mind. It still happens. I can't believe it still happens. But in Wisconsin, uh, northern Wisconsin, the official seized 1300 dogs and roosters from an organized fighting operation. They actually went to raid this guy because of methamphetamines. And they heard they got a tip that he was, you know, dealing in drugs. P.S. He ends up, they find 1,300 dogs and roosters, battered, beaten up, horrendous conditions. And you would think, I mean, it just blows my mind that it's happening. In order for it to happen, it's kind of like watching these ridiculous shows on TV. The fact that we pay attention to them, the fact that people are watching this crap is why this crap is still on. Trust me, if nobody watched some of these shows that are on, they wouldn't be on anymore. And the same thing with dogs. So that means that in order for this guy to be doing what he's doing, that means for sure that people were actually paying money to see these fights. That kind of blows my mind. So with that sick thought, I am going to be back in a few minutes after these short messages. Don't go away. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. Pick up two bottles of Super Mega Fish Oil. Get the third bottle free. Packed with omega-3, DHA, and EPA fatty acids. Super Mega is great for your dog's immune system, healthy skin, and soft, shiny fur. Dogs love it. Try Super Omega Fish Oil. Buy two. Get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? 
Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories. Party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're live here, live with Dr. Jeff Gerber. Here on Pet Life Radio, ask the vets with Dr. Jeff. Um, you want to get hold of me? Do so. Call me 877-385-8882 or click on PetLifeRadio.com. Go on to the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab. Scroll down to the link that was left there for you. It's a Google Hangouts link. And you can join us live here right now with your pets and talk to us, ask any questions, etc. And, um, of course, uh, you can also drop me a note. There's a little, when you uh, go on to the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab, you'll see a group chat box, and you can just type away, and uh, we will, um, you know, get a chance to chat. Um, also, um, if you want to get a hold of me, if there's any um, subject matter, if you're dealing with something with one of your pets that you just like some more information, something that you may not understand well, you're left with some sort of big decision to make, and uh, just drop me a note, Dr. Jeff, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. So in the intro of the show, we talked about something that often um, I deal with all the time. And it is what we call the practice of practical medicine versus academic medicine. And what we see often, I understand it. I understand it. When you think of a young veterinary student and they are getting most of their experience, which is very little, at their teaching hospital. And most of the veterinary schools in the country have a hospital they're associated with. And when you think about what kind of cases are going to end up at a university teaching hospital, we're talking really challenging, difficult cases, and probably living in areas where there aren't many, unlike Los Angeles, where we have a zillion internal medicine specialists and ophthalmologists and neurologists and surgeons. But in many parts of the country, the closest specialty area is the teaching hospital. So it's gotten a little bit better now, and I'll explain why in a second. But so when what types of cases are many of the students exposed to, only sometimes exposed to, and those are these very, very, very difficult, challenging cases. So when they get into practice, and of course, when you have these challenging cases and you're at a teaching hospital, uh, there you know, all these fancy tests are being run and they're going to be doing you know tons of blood work all the time and tests that we normally wouldn't have to test for. They're going to do CTs and MRIs and bone scans and contrast radiography and all these things. And right away, people, the students are getting out thinking, oh my God, oh my God, this is what we have to do. Or specialists, specialists that are there, that's the way they practice. So they get there, they do their internships, they do their residencies, they're at a teaching hospital, they're getting these amazing skills and there's amazing knowledge in that one discipline. So they have their blinders on because that's what they know. They know their discipline. They know it very well. And what their goal is to save the world in that discipline. 
whatever it takes, whatever needs to be done. That's what and they have the skills to do it and they have the knowledge to do it. But that's what I call academic medicine. And I see this all too often in practice. And quite frankly, in many cases, I try to depart from academic medicine. And look, as a general practitioner, most GPs, you know, the way I would describe myself is a jack of all trades, master of none. I can probably 80% in most disciplines, I can do my own and the above 20%, that really top notch, I'll refer to one of the specialists. However, my slant, my take on a case is often different. Most GPs are, have a different take because why? We have a more holistic approach. I don't mean like naturopathy, holistic. I mean that we look at the whole scenario. We look at not just the disease and this patient and what we can do now. We evaluate the body condition. We evaluate the age of the pet. How long would it take to get to the point of having a comfortable life for this dog or cat, right? And at what expense? Are we going to ever get there if the pet is already much older and quality of life? We know that we might be able to save them, but at what cost? I don't, I don't mean the financial cost necessarily. I mean the emotional cost to you. I mean the, the cost to the pet, the physical cost. Are we going to make them miserable just to save three months, right? So I think it's very important that yes, when your doctor, see, if you ask your GP who's been there, done that, who hopefully has years of experience and has acquired a certain degree of wisdom. Trust me, I've made mistakes of my own pet and, and before, and more than one. And after when all said and done. And you know what's interesting? Even something is cancer. And look, we've made miraculous advances when it comes to cancer. But there are some cancers that aren't beatable, period. They are not beatable no matter what. So you have to say to yourself, if I'm going to lose this battle, does it make a difference really if it's going to cost me $15,000 for an extra three months, four months, five months? If it, if it does, if you have it and it truly won't affect your living, your lifestyle, and it will provide comfort at the same time to the pet, and then you choose to do it, absolutely go for it. But if you ask the questions that are important questions, number one, would you do this if it were your own pet? All right. What's going to be during the course of treatment? How is my pet going to feel? Is they're going to be vomiting? Is it, are they going to still want to eat? Right. What's going to happen to their white blood cell count? Whatever the case may be. How, what's the recovery going to be after the surgery? Let's talk a simple one. Bone cancer and amputation. All right. Or now, let's not even, well, yeah, let's say bone cancer. Why? Because bone cancer is 100% fatal, ultimately. You can't beat it. Now, can you buy time? Absolutely. But let's say you have a dog who is already, say, 13-year-old large breed dog who already has trouble getting up because the back end is gone or going. Are you going to really amputate a front leg if, if it was on a front leg cancer for an extra four months? And the dog has already given you 13 years? So these are the some questions you have to if you ask the, some of the oncologists, they say, oh, no, no, we can do this. We can do this. And yes, you can, but at what expense? And again, not just financial expense. So I think that when we're dealt with this, we have to talk about, you know, as I said, practical versus academic, reality versus idealism. Is it, yes, ideally, it would be a great thing to do. But realistically, I just don't know. I just don't know if it's the right thing to put a pet through. Uh, one of the cases I had, I had this magnificent Oriental short hair cat. Name was Sushi. I've been with us for, he was 14, 14 and a half, and started going that we really never had a major answer, but he definitely had some kidney issues, old cats, but he was literally becoming skin and bone. And we sat there and we would have, you know, we would treat, we would give him fluids and he would have a rebound. 
and it would rebound. And he, oh my God, he started chowing his food down again, no vomiting. Oh my God, this is great. We finally got to where we need to go. And it would last a week, 10 days. And then he'd go down again. And at the end of the day, uh, this was sort of my son's cat. My son grew up with this cat. And this killed me that when we finally put him down, Brandon, my son said to me, dad, we waited too long. And he was right. We did wait too long. And it was really, really painful. So I wanted to just keep this in mind. If you need a sounding board for something like this, and I deal with this all the time, you can get a hold of me, drjeff at petliferadio.com. And just to throw some things by, what's the condition? What's the disease? What are they telling you? How much is it going to cost? And ask the specialist, if everything is perfect, what's the best we can assume, what we can get? But don't just go with the best. What is the mean? Mean survival. What's the average? Because don't think that you are going to be lucky enough that your pet's going to have the best outcome possible. No, no, no. If you're going to make a decision like this, you want to know what's realistically, what's the mean survival? And what does it cost to get there? And what's the quality of life while we're trying to get there? And what's the low? And my pet's going to be one of the low ones. So a lot to think about. I know I'm leaving you on a downer, but I want, again, for me, Yes, it's down or emotionally, but my concern, obviously, really, is the pets and what it's going to take. And that's why I always say to people, I can have two animals present to me with the exact same problem, same signal, meaning both, you know, let's say a Labrador retriever, both five years of age, and a specialist is going this way, and a, a GP is going to open up their eyes and look at the whole situation. And I might approach these two cases totally differently because of all the other factors because of that holistic approach and give clients choices and, and maybe not go for the best. They may not be able to afford the best, but if I'm really good, I can make the non-best, just the okay treatment work well in this case. So anyway, with that, thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio. Again, you can get a hold of me anytime. Just send me a little note to drjeff, drjeff at petliferadio.com. And we will uh, hopefully see you here next week. Same bat time, same bat channel here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets. Once again, thanks to our producer, Mark Winter, does a great job. He has to listen to me every, like, it's every week. That, that right there, I got to handle it to him. All right. Anyway, so uh, have a good week, everybody. And for those of you, Wednesday, um, have a, a, a very solemn, special day. Uh, you know who you are. You know what I mean. All right. Take care, everyone. See you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.